Well, we're going to be in Ruth this morning, chapter 4. So if you turn there and stand with me, we'll read our text. Ruth chapter 4. It's my blessing to be at Riverside Baptist Church this morning. Every time the Lord allows me to be here, I'm thankful, I'm blessed. I feel like I get to be at my second home with my second family. And it's good to see everyone again and just such a blessing. You're such an encouragement to me. And uh, I hope that I can be anywhere close to kind of an encouragement to you as you are to me. But it is a blessing to see you. It's a blessing to that Brother Marshall asked and gave me this opportunity. So we'll open the Word of God and now get to the best part of all of this, Ruth chapter 4. Let's begin reading in verse number 1, and we'll read all the way to verse number 8. The Bible says, Then went Boaz up to the gate, and sat him down there, and behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by. Unto whom he said, Oh, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside, sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city, and said, Sit down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is, come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of the people. Uh, If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. You can almost sense his excitement there. Like a parcel of land, this is, in Israel, this is a great opportunity. I'm going to take advantage of this. Boaz said, well, there's an addendum to this. I mean, there's a small print you need to read. Verse 5, and then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the land of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. The kinman said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I mar my own inheritance. I'm not sure if he gave thought to it, but as soon as he realized what was attached to this deal, which felt too good to be true, and after hearing this, it was, uh, he realized, I can't do this. Um, Then he said, Redeem thou my right to thyself, speaking to Boaz, verse 6 is where we are, for I cannot redeem it. Now this is the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm uh, all things, a man plucked off his shoe or his sandal, and gave it to his neighbor, and this was the testimony, a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee, so he drew off his shoe. This morning, Boaz became the kinsman redeemer of Ruth and Naomi. It's a wonderful story, it's beautiful actually, and I can't wait to get into it and show you some of the things that God uh, will help us to see in the picture here. But the picture, we'll go ahead and say, is that we have a Redeemer too. And that in Him, the beautiful picture is painted in Jesus Christ. And that we have hope. We have hope of a future inheritance. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. My prayer this morning is that God will speak to your heart. And that God will show you just what He'd have for you. So let's pray. Father, I pray Your help this morning. We need You. Without You, we can do nothing. And Father, 
It's certainly true that it's not the techniques of man, it's not the schemes of man, it's not the entertainment industry of man as it relates to church and preaching and all of these things that touches the hearts of men. It's just you. And we trust, Father, that you through your message will speak to the hearts that are opened, soft, tender, listening with open ears and open hearts, and that you would speak to them at the area of life where where their greatest need is. And certainly, Lord, we'll give you glory for what you do. I pray for courage. I'll go ahead and ask God for courage in those that need to take a step of faith, that you'd give them courage, that it would begin to, it would begin to be built in them even now. That by the end of the message, if they need to be saved, that they would walk to the altar and get it settled. Perhaps somebody came this morning and they already knew, I'm lost. They've already been thinking about it. God, I pray that this morning you would tell them, you would confirm in them that today is the day of salvation. And for those that just need to be reminded, I pray that you would speak to us. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can be seated. Now we need to remember, those of you I think probably understand a lot about the story of Ruth, But Ruth had lost everything. Naomi had lost everything. You might remember that they, with their husband, Naomi that is, with her husband Elimelech, left Bethlehem, hometown, and went to Moab, which was a a strange land, going there to escape the famine. And uh, while there, their two sons, Malon and Chilion, both met and married Moabitess women. Malon marrying Ruth and establishing that covenant. After a time, Elimelech, which would have been Naomi's husband, he passed away. And for a wife in a strange land, not having land, not having inheritance, not having a way or a means to provide for herself, losing her husband was a a, a big problem, was a big deal. But she had her sons. She had them to provide. She had them to give security. She had them to to give the security through financial means. And so, although her heart would have likely have been broken, she would have been able to move on with security of her sons. But then after about 10 years, both sons had passed away. And now we have Naomi with her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. and, And now not having husband, not having Anybody to provide for them. And in early times, this would have been a big problem for them. So Naomi, probably after some discussion with the Lord or some discussion in her heart, certainly being discouraged about her circumstance, made the decision, it's time for me to go back home. Can I say that this morning, sometimes we get away from God and God begins to work on us. He begins to remind us this great truth. There's nothing like being at home. Can I say this morning, there's nothing in your life, there's nothing in this world that this world's going to offer you that touches anywhere close to being at home right with God. So Naomi began the journey. Orpah and Ruth there with her. But there would have been legal restrictions. If you understood the day, then there would have been a kind of an attachment that these women had to Naomi. And to be released, they would have to have this 
uh, given to them from Naomi. So Naomi in chapter 1 would have looked at her daughters and said, you are released. Understanding these women are still young. They're still at childbearing age. And knowing that they're strangers being Moabitess women coming to Israel would have had a small chance to get married to any of, a, any of the Hebrew men. And so with their circumstance, Naomi had the one, gave up the one maybe security that she had in releasing her two daughters. Orpah took the, through, ter- through tears, took the uh, opportunity and went back to Moab, likely would have gotten remarried and had children. But Ruth, staring in the face of a lost future, staring in the face of a lost opportunity to get married, staring in the face of a lost opportunity to have children and a future, said, I'll stay with you, Naomi. You'll be my mother. You'll be, and your God will be my God. Your land will be my land. I will be with you to the end. Attaching herself to Naomi and heading on the journey, sacrificing it all to stay with her mother, her mother-in-law. So they make their way back to uh, Bethlehem and immediately it would have become clear that we need to figure out a way to get food. We need to figure out a way to provide for ourselves. And so Ruth said, I'll go looking for the grace. I'll go looking for the grace of God. And as she was searching for opportunity, note that in the Bible, I won't turn there, but in the Bible it says her hap was upon the field of Boaz. In other words, she just happened to pass by the field of Boaz and see the workers. I feel like her hap had a little bit to do with the hand of God, don't you? That God was guiding her in her faith to right where she needed to be. And God had her right in the place, even though she didn't understand it, this was right the field where she needed to be. She didn't understand the connection to Boaz. She didn't understand the family line. She just was following, looking for opportunity. And Boaz gave her that opportunity, reaping in the fields and gathering the food as it would have been left off. Levitical law offered opportunity for for poor and strangers in the land to reap the, the benefit of the field that would have been the leftovers of the harvest. And it was left there on purpose. God made... By the way, God cares about... Uh, no matter what class you are in, God cares about every class. And He made provisions for the poor. and made provisions for the strangers. And by the way, Na- uh, Ruth and Na- rather Naomi, I'm sorry, Ruth fit both categories. She was both poor and a stranger. So she gathered the food and Boaz noticed, this is, this is an interesting situation. Who is this? Naomi makes her way back or rather, Ruth makes her way back home and introduces this gentleman that gave her this provision and says the name Boaz, and Naomi gets excited, and she begins to put together her scheme. And and through all of this, fast-forwarding to chapter 2, what Naomi had counseled Ruth to do was to go in 
in the night and to uncover his feet and lay there at his feet. This would have been, I think sometimes we see that as perhaps maybe inappropriate, but it wasn't inappropriate. It was a custom of the day and it was under the cover of night to give additional, not only provision, but to give additional sort of grace for the situation. Because in this proposal, as she uncovered his feet, it was as though Ruth was saying, I am making myself available to be married if you would have me. Pretty interesting way to propose to somebody, right? Like to uncover their feet. I think for some of you guys, it would have to be like this. But anyway, so she uncovered the feet. Boaz would have woke up and he would have seen his feet uncovered and a woman there. He would have known this isn't a strange thing. He would have understood the custom. He would have understood the tradition. And so he woke and immediately addressed the issue. And by the way, I find that it's pretty amazing that when he began to talk to her about this proposal, accepting the proposal, he said, but there's one kinsman that's ahead of me. What does that tell us, Brother Andrew? He'd been doing a little bit of research himself. He'd been finding out a little bit himself. She wasn't just interested. He was pretty interested too. And so now the business has to be taken care of. If Boaz is going to get married to Ruth, then he has to deal with this kinsman that is ahead of him in the line and lineage. Who would have had the Levitical right to Ruth in the land? And that's the story we come to this morning. He comes, he comes, to, he comes to this this place, this gathering, this gate, which, which would have been also where uh, business was done, business affairs, uh, uh, legal affairs were taken care of. And he's waiting there for the, the one who was next in line to pass by. Now I want you to put yourself in the, mind, in the heart of Ruth and Naomi at this point. They had lost everything. They didn't, they didn't have security. They didn't have the peace of knowing that, hey, when we leave today, we're going to go home and we're going to have all the provisions that we need. They didn't have all of that. They didn't have the welfare. They didn't have the financial backing. They had nothing in this world. They had no hope. Can we say it like this? They were lost. They were like lost sheep in the world having nothing. Can I say that that's how we are this morning? We come into this world and we're lost sheep. And the Bible makes that clear. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means that we're all sinners. The wages of sin is death. You know, I have, in fact, had a conversation with somebody only one time ever that told me they'd never sinned before. But generally, that's the exception to the rule. I would say if we had a silent ballot this morning, have you ever sinned, put yes or no, that probably it would be 100% yes. We would all admit, I have sinned. But that's a problem. Because our sin means that we're lost. And Jesus came to save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's why He came. He came to save the lost. You say, well, what about hell? If God is so loving, if God is so caring, then why does hell exist? Listen, friend, God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. 
God is not willing that any should perish. That's why Jesus came, to make a way to save our lost soul. For God so loved the world. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God doesn't want anybody to die and spend eternally separation from God. No person. No one. He wants all of us to be saved. And that means you. And this morning, if you're lost, Christ came to find you. You say, well, I just happened to be here this morning. I think that maybe sometimes what we think just happened to happen, God had a little bit more to do with it than you realize. The Bible says that He came to seek and to save that which was lost. God desires to work in your heart this morning. And He wants to confirm some things in you. It's not, but can I say that this morning it's not my responsibility to convince you that you're either saved or lost, that you need to surrender or not surrender. It's my responsibility to preach the Word of God. And when that happens, then the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart. He confirms the message. That's called conviction. And when you know you need to be saved, it's because God is speaking to you, not because we have a buzzer under your seat and I keep pushing it every time I want you to get convicted. No. God works in you. If you know you're lost, if you know you need to be saved, God is telling you that. And He came to save you. Ruth and Naomi would have been lost. And then Boaz came. Went to the town gate to seek the redemption of these precious ladies. The town gate would have been where the personal business took care of. To have a legal... To have a legal process, then he would need to have everyone in their place. So verse 2 says he took 10 men of the elders of the city. This would have been a legal quorum. He would have need to have had at least 10 to make this process legal. The witnesses of the transaction. He carefully planned strategy. As you and I have already read, he would have he would have gave the information in a particular order to come to the specific end. Hey, there's land that's available. There's a parcel and you have the first right, the first dibs to it. This man, this unnamed man would have said, that sounds good to me. And so he said, I'll take it. Quickly agreeing to this plan. But verse 5, if you buy the land, you have to take, you have to take ownership of everything that goes along with it, including Naomi and Ruth. Well, that was a problem. Because Levitical law says, raise up a name of the dead. And he would have had his own heir. He would have had his own life. And he says, I can't take the chance to take my heir and my life and what has been established already. I abdicate this, I give it to you. And so now... As we've mentioned, this nearer kinsman had his opportunity and Boaz now had taken this opportunity away from this other man who relinquished it. But they didn't just shake hands on the matter. They didn't just say, we're in verbal agreement with each other. Perhaps there was a kind of document that was filled out and maybe somebody signed the bottom line and they had witnesses there to sign too. But there was a tradition in place where they would take their sandal off and they would pass it over to the other uh, in this agreement and this would work as a contract. Sort of strange, 
sort of like the uncovering of the feet. You're thinking, wow, will you marry me? Let's uncover our feet. And so now we're going to transfer some land. I'm going to pass my shoe over to you. Take good care of that. It's my favorite shoe, you know. Um, why are we doing this? It, re- it symbolized, it represented that now as Boaz is t- acquiring this land, he has freedom to traverse and walk on this land. He gave his shoe to give that analogy. It belongs to me now. And in that instance, he became the kinsman redeemer. The passing of the sandal, he became the kinsman redeemer of Naomi and Ruth. This would have meant that Naomi and Ruth both were no longer on the slave market. They were no longer poor. They were no longer without. They were no longer in, in, the, in the area of life where they had great need and they had no privilege and they had no ability to take care of themselves. They were redeemed. And in salvation, friends, you and I, on the slave market of sin, we come into, come into contact and hear the message of the Gospel and Jesus begins to work in our hearts and He begins to say, I want to be your Redeemer. I want to be your kinsman redeemer. I want to purchase you off of the slave market of sin. I want to offer you security. I want to offer you an eternal hope. It's in Christ. He came and He met all of the legal requirements. And in salvation, He purchased us. He laid down His life for our sins And so now in Him, we're safe in the arms of Christ. We're His redeemed possession. He pours His love out on us. I think that if we consider this, it probably should change the way we think about life. We should surrender our life to Christ. Why? Because you're His. You're His possession. Have you heard the song, I am His and He is Mine? 1 Peter 1.18, don't turn there. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. 1 Corinthians 6.19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you and ye, are, ye have of God and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You're His child. You're His redeemed possession. You are bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are His, and He is yours. You're not your own. If you're lost this morning, it's time for you to turn to your only chance of redemption. You cannot redeem yourself, you cannot meet the legal requirements. And if you die without Christ this morning, you'll die in your sins. John 8.24 says, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. But you don't have to die in your sins. He died for you. He died to pay for your sins. That's what it means for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. 
If you'll call upon Him, He can save you. Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. But you have to turn your heart to Him. He can redeem you today, but you have to turn to Him. And you don't have to wait. You know, it's amazing to me how somebody can know that they need to be saved because God is pricking their heart and they still won't come. You know what that's called? It's called kicking against the pricks. Saul did it for a long time. God's pricking you and He's saying, you need this. And you hear a sermon like this and you're thinking, I need to be redeemed. I haven't been saved. I'm a sinner, but I've never turned my heart to Christ. Maybe you said the words. Can I remind you that words won't save you? You need to, give your, you need to turn your heart to Christ. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. And sometimes God pricks us and He speaks to us and He says, you need this. You need to be saved. You've watched other people be saved. You've watched other people walk the altar. But you need to walk the altar. You've said the words. But it's never transformed. God's never transformed your heart. And He's pricking you. And we kick against Him. It's amazing. You know, I remember the first time I got under conviction and I didn't kick against God very long after that. I was 13 years old. I was bus kid to church and I was sitting on the back row in the far corner in the past, the, pre, the youth direct. I was in sixth grade. I snuck into youth class. I wasn't supposed to be in there, but I'm a bus kid. And bus kids do a lot of sneaking, you know. They shouldn't, but I did. Anyway, so I snuck in there on the back row. I didn't know that for the first time I'm going to hear a sermon that's going to get all the way to my heart. I mean, I've heard a lot of sermons. I've been a bus kid since third grade. That's, that's at least three years. I'm pretty good at math, you know. So I've been, I've been hearing sermons for a long time, but I've never been convicted yet. It never got piercing to the abiding asunder of soul and spirit. God didn't get all the way to my heart until that morning. The preacher's preaching about hell. He's preaching about sins. He's preaching about everything I knew I was. And I realized I need this. But it wasn't the pastor. I didn't even know who he was. I do now, but I didn't know who he was. He's just preaching the word. He wasn't even looking over here. It's like 300 teens in there. I'm way over in the corner. People didn't even know I was in there. But God knew I was there because he started pricking my heart. I knew I needed to be saved. Raise your hand if you, yeah, every head bowed, you know. And, and uh, raise your hand if you don't know you're saved. Well, I put my hand up. And then suddenly, this guy from behind me put his hand on my shoulder, scared the wits out of me. I didn't know somebody, I mean, I didn't know you did that. You know, I don't think we do that here, so don't be nervous. I mean, maybe, I don't know. We might have a tackle team where you raise your hand, they're going to get you. But anyway, probably not. So I raised my hand, a guy put his hand on my shoulder, and uh, he wanted to show me how I could be saved. So I prayed the prayer, but here's what I knew. It wasn't in here. You ever done that? Some of you, I think, possibly do it every night. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Hoping those words will make it happen. But God wants to get to your heart. And it didn't on that moment. And I got home and I knew it wasn't there. I knew it wasn't. I knew it wasn't right. And so I was at home and I was convicted. And I was, my heart was beating. And I was afraid, I was afraid this is crazy, but I was afraid my house was going to burn down. 
And, uh, and if that happened, I'm lost. So I'll never forget the day laying on my bed and I began to pray. And I, I just asked the Lord to save me. I actually don't remember everything I said, but I do remember asking Him to save me. And I remember Him changing my life. Do you know what happened at that moment? He became my kinsman redeemer. He bought me. Brother Tim, he'll be here tonight. Uh, we, uh, many, probably a lot of you know him. He's, uh, he was my friend for about seven years. Told me in one of our Bible studies, Pastor, I love doing these Bible studies with you, but I'll, I'll never be attending your church. I'm like, that's all right. We'll just see what God does. You know, Bible studies. The kid sang Patch Song and his grandkids were singing and he showed up to church for the first time. And he was out of there. I, you know, we bow for invitation. I open my eyes. He's gone. He couldn't wait to get out of there. And then a month later, Patch sings again. He shows up again. And then the, the third time he showed up, Patch wasn't singing, but I messaged him that morning. I said, listen, I just want to give you a personal invitation if you could make it to church today. And uh, he said, I probably won't be there. I said, that's okay. I'm just throwing the invitation out. And then I am, I'm at church and he comes walking through the doors. I said, you're here. He's like, yeah, I just, this morning I felt like I should be there. I said, hey, that's great. Preached the sermon, he left. Two o'clock Sunday that afternoon, he texts me, Pastor, how do you know if you're ready to be saved? I said, I'll be there in five minutes. He was at the shop. He's a, the head uh, mechanic at the deal, Ford dealership in our town. He's standing in the under a hood of a truck when I came walking in the shop and he turned around and his eyes were beet red, swollen. He'd been crying for at least two hours. He said, he said, how do I get saved? I'll never forget. I put my hands on his shoulders. He put his hands on my shoulders and I said, Tim, just cry out to Christ. And you want to, I want to tell you, he cried out to Christ right there in the Ford dealership. He's a deacon now. He's preaching Wednesday night this week. You know what happened at that moment? Christ became his kinsman redeemer. Yeah. Grant was 11 when he walked into my office and he said, Dad, remember when I was six and I prayed and asked the Lord to save me? I said, yeah, I'll never forget that day, buddy. He says, it wasn't really in my heart. He said, I've been trying to fight it, Dad. I've been trying to fight it, but I can't fight it anymore. I need to get saved. Right there in my office, Grant, 11 years old, cried out to Christ, and he became his kinsman redeemer. Revival, this would have been maybe two or three years ago. I don't know, time flies. Four years ago. Somewhere in the middle over here, a man named Bill Woods, Vietnam vet. We'd been doing Bible studies. The first Bible study we sat down, Bill said, uh, listen, pastor, I just want you to know God can't save me. I said, why do you say that? He says, you don't know what I've done. I said, well, I don't know what you've done, and I don't really want to know what you've done, but let's just see what God does. We did about eight Bible studies. Bill comes walking into church on a Sunday, and he says, Pastor, today I'm going to go to the altar and get saved. I said, amen. Altar, came, uh, altar call came. Bill didn't move. I said, what happened, Bill? He says, I don't know. I said, well, maybe next time. So he went home. It was a long week, I promise you that. And then he, he came in. He came into church the next Sunday, start of revival, Brother Sam Davison. I'm like, if you can make it through this one, you are something. 
We get to the invitation and it was, oh, he started to weep. Everybody in the church was looking around like, what's happening? You know, he's walking to the altar, he's moaning and crying, and I knew why he was coming. He kneels to the altar, he can barely talk. I said, Bill, you need to get saved, don't you? He said something. I said, cry out to Christ. And he cried out to Christ. And I promise you, everybody in the whole auditorium heard that prayer. And he moaned his way back to his seat. And we started revival. (laughs) That's a good way to start revival. You know what happened at that moment for Bill? Christ became his kinsman redeemer. Brother Tim got baptized. He got saved. He got baptized the next week. The very next week. That week, one of our men who's been a part of our church for years, salvation testimony since 1980, he calls me. He says, Pastor, I need to meet with you this week. I said, let's meet Thursday. Comes into my office and he says, Pastor, I was driving down the road in my truck and I saw this sunrise and it was so beautiful and I thought Jesus was coming back. And then he said this, no, no, you can't come back. I'm not ready. And now he's in my office. And I think that his name's Marvin. I I think he was hoping that I was going to tell him, well, then just get saved. But I didn't. I said, what are we going to do? He says, I don't know. So I'm going to pray for you then. And he left, slowly walked out of my office thinking, well, I can't believe Pastor didn't tell me to get saved. And he left. He came to church the next Sunday though. And he's sitting over here. Everybody on this side of the auditorium gets saved, I think. I'm, I'm at the invitation. Brother Tim's walking back there to get baptized. And Brother Marvin starts weeping and he walks to the altar and he kneels down and I know exactly why he's there. And I knelt down and he can barely talk. And I said, you're ready to get saved, aren't you? He said, yeah. I said, cry out to Christ. And right there on the altar, he cried out to Christ. And at that moment, He became his kinsman redeemer. I told you about Brother Bill getting saved. That started revival. We had four people saved at that revival. I won't tell you all of them, but they're all amazing. I'll tell you the last one. Young lady named Ava. She's like my daughter I never had. I have a few of those at church, but she's one of them. We prayed for her for three years to get saved. She's hard. Hard. Not rebellious so much, but just hard. And, it, and not a crier. Sitting over here on the about, now people on this side can get saved. She's sitting over here, about the third row. Invitation is about to begin, and she bursts into tears. Walks to the altar, and everybody in the whole auditorium knows what she's about to do because we've been praying for her for three years. She cried out to Christ. You know what? You take over this afternoon, she's going to play the piano. Christ became her kinsman redeemer. Do you know what? It might be that this morning you don't have a testimony like that. Because you need to be saved. He's pricking your heart. He's saying today is your day. And what you need to do is just say, I'm going to go. I'm going to get it settled. And he's going to become my kinsman redeemer. Can I tell you this morning, he's searching for you. He's speaking to your heart. He's pricking your heart. And no matter what excuse you can come up to, He's never going to give up on you. Maybe today's the day. Father, we thank You that this morning we can 
open your word. We can study and we can know that, Lord, you speak to us and you work in us. And it might be that this morning somebody needs to be saved. It might be that this morning there's several people who need to be saved. And Father, we're just going to even at this moment ask that you would give them courage to come. Courage to take a step. To come. To get it settled. To be saved. And God will give you glory for what you do. I pray that your prick would be strong in the hearts of those that are lost. And those that need to just repent and get their hearts right with you, Lord, need to turn back to you. I pray courage there as well. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed, nobody's looking around. You say, preacher, this morning, that's me. I need to be saved. I've been kicking against God. I've been fighting against God and I need to turn to Him. And I've been fighting the Lord on this. And He's not my kinsman redeemer and God has confirmed that in me. Would you pray for me? Now, nobody's looking around, and I will not embarrass you, and there's no such thing as somebody who's going to come up and get you. But I'll pray for you. Say, preacher, would you pray for me? I'm lost. I'm not saved. I I need to be saved. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone? Say, I I see your hand. You can put it down. Anybody else? If you'll just hold it up, I'll wait, wait until I see it, and I'll pray for you. Anybody else? I'm not sure I'm saved. Well, thank you for your honesty. It could be that today is the day. And let me pray for you. I'm going to ask God to give you courage to come. Father, we pray for these that need to be saved. One who's admitted this, but also others that perhaps just are nervous, but still you're working. Would you give them courage to come this morning? We'll give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Let's let the invitation begin. And as the piano plays, if God's worked in your heart, the altar is open for you.